As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Let's take a moment to breathe. Deep inhale. Extend your spine. Remain focused on what you're doing. If safe to do so, exhale slowly, leaning to one side. Inhale back to center. If safe to do so, exhale slowly to the opposite side. Find mental health resources at loveyourmindtoday.org. This message is brought to you by the Huntsman Mental Health Institute and the Ed Council. From The Recount, I'm Rena Ninen, and you're listening to The Recount Daily Pod. Today is Friday, September 17th, and we have a special bonus episode for you today. For many, this month has marked a return to a new sort of normal. Workers are starting to head back to the office. The majority of kids are back in school, and that leaves many pets now facing a stark new reality, spending most of their days home alone for the first time. We're here to talk about what you need to know about helping your pet cope with their anxieties with two experts on pet behavior. Dr. Nicholas Dodman is a diplomat of the American College of Veterinary Behavioralists. And Dr. Stephen Zawistowski is an adjunct professor of animal behavior and conservation at Hunter College. Dr. Dodman and Dr. Zawistowski, who goes by Dr. Z. I want to thank you guys so much for joining us. This is just such a fascinating topic. So the organization Shelter Animals Count runs a database that tracks shelter and rescue activity. The group recorded 26,000 more pet adoptions in 20 than the year before. It's a rise of 15%. Why do you think so many people decided to adopt animals during COVID? One of the things we've known for years is that when there is a social upheaval of some sort, we do tend to see um, a lot of things change at the animal shelter at the pet level. We often see either an increase in adoptions or an increase in relinquishments. So the most recent one that really showed was the Great Recession which was about 15 years ago. And during that period, we had an enormous number of evictions occurring because people couldn't pay their mortgage, they were being evicted. And we do know that one of the most common reasons for relinquishment for pets is change in household circumstances. Um, You know, you're evicted, you have to move, um, there's some change, you lost your job. This will lead to often an increase. And so actually the sword hanging over us right now is this question of when the eviction moratoriums start to expire, what will we see at that point? And on top of that, you know, we're layering the behavior problems that we'll see in pets. And that's always been something that comes up about when people are having a difficult time uh, coping with all the other things happening in their life and they have a pet who's, um, you know, maybe destroying things around the house. They haven't really fully house trained the pet. The pet's not used to being alone, those types of things. So those all kind of merge together and result in people bringing their pets back to the shelter. That makes sense about the income situation as well. Dr. Dodman, you know, we've seen pets being returned to shelters as people are returning back to the offices or going back to some of their old lifestyles. The animal care centers of New York saw almost 1,400 animals being brought back to them last month. That's more than twice the number of dogs and cats that was surrendered back in February. Why do you think pets are being returned? Getting a dog during the pandemic was almost impossible at these shelters. Is that equilibrium restored? I think a lot of people acquired the pet in the first place because they were sequestered or stay-at-home program. 
and they just felt left out of society and it seemed like a good idea to get a pet for companionship. And it turns out that really did work. Um, one study showed something like 60 to 70% of people really got a great boost from having a pet around in their loneliness. But now the other end of that situation is occurring, that is people are returning to work and they're wondering what to do with the pets because they were able to spend all kinds of time with them. That switch from people being at home to not being at home is a sudden change and sudden changes often precipitate separation anxiety, which is rife anyway. It affects up to 17% of US dogs. But for dogs who've been cosseted at home with owners around all the time, I think that's an even crueler blow to suddenly be without the person. So it's a typical trigger. We've got to take a quick break. We'll be right back with animal behaviorists, Dr. Nicholas Dodman and Dr. Stephen Zawistowski on the Recount Daily Pod. Welcome back to the Recount Daily Pod, podcast from the Recount and iHeartRadio. We're here with animal behaviorists, Dr. Nicholas Dodman and Dr. Stephen Zawistowski talking about pandemic pets and how to ease your pet's anxiety if you're heading back into the office. My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. So, Dr. Z, what's the emotional effect of dogs on people, especially during stressful times like the pandemic? Well, we've we've seen a lot of research over the years showing that uh, simply being in the presence of a dog, petting a dog, can lower blood pressure and have a lot of impact on uh, even changing some of the hormone uh, flow within the body of both you and the dog. So I think sometimes when we're talking about separation anxiety, and particularly for people who acquired pets during the pandemic, I wonder almost if there's as much separation anxiety for the people as it is for the dogs, because they have become so dependent on having the dog there, you know, now going to work and all of a sudden, you know, you don't have the dog. Built into that is, I think, a guilt element as well. You feel bad that you leave your dog home alone. I think there are times we overthink that question. The vast majority of dogs do just fine being home during the day. Animals have a tremendous sense of timing. We've seen this from research in laboratories and stuff. You know, 20 minutes before you get home, the dog gets up, he stretches, he he starts looking out the window. When you come home and he's at the door, (laughs) you have the feeling he's been waiting for you all day. And, you know, no, he's been sleeping most of the day. Um, and I think the most important thing is easing back into a schedule well, that you would have walking them, exercising them before you go to work, you know, when you would take them out, when you come home from work. So that's incredibly important um, is, is they really do thrive on that. It makes it so much easier in all the training. If you're consistent, um, you can't expect the dog to be consistent if you are not. What do you think from a behavioralist standpoint people might not know or fully understand about dogs? Um, 
we have a problem sometimes, I think, if we anthropomorphize them, we think they're little people. I mean, that's a discredit to little people and dogs. <laughs> um, you know, the reality is they live in a different sensory world. They hear things that we don't hear. They smell things we don't smell. And they have a different perspective on, on how the world is working. I do. I treat my dog almost like a, a little kid. I have to admit it, like talk to it. I tell it, you know, what I'm doing next and and get angry at it when it pees on the floor. And what are some of the things you think new dog owners might not know about the behavior of a dog that might help them better understand the first few months and years? I agree with Stephen that some people um, over anthropomorphize their dogs and, um, you know, come home from work and tell them all the troubles they've had on a difficult way and expect the dog to understand it. <laughs> dogs really don't do sentences. Um, yeah, they can do little phrases, you know, go get your you know, ball or toy, and they can, they can identify numerous words. Um, however, I've always believed that they have feelings and emotions that in many ways are very similar to our own. Um, and in my last book, Pets on the Couch, I detail pretty much almost all the conditions in the Diagnostic Manual of Psychiatry can also be found in domestic dogs from PTSD to different types of anxiety disorders to explosive aggression to obsessive compulsive disorder and so on. So I think they're more like us than a lot of people um, understand or care to acknowledge. And some of the work that's going on at Emory um, with MRIs is showing that the same areas of the brain light up on a PET scan um, when they see a familiar face, a familiar person, um, the reward systems light up. So really, the operating system is very similar. Maybe it's like an old um, Commodore computer versus our you know, latest Mac. Um, but either way, it works pretty well. Do you think that with more people getting animals, particularly during this pandemic, when it was so lonely, Dr. Z, do you think that there is a better understanding of dogs and pet culture or... Do you see the fact that people returning them just see this as sort of disposable and can be easily removed from your life? We're in an interesting period of time regarding dogs and, and our understanding of dogs and, and the other animals that we have in our homes. You know, for a long time, there was the thought that dogs were some kind of corrupted version of wolves. Um, wolves were like the ultimate canine um, and dogs were just some sort of deteriorated version. And, you know, now we're seeing that, no, dogs are actually probably the most adapted species in the world. I mean, they have gone everywhere that humans have ever been. Um, and I'm presuming at some point they're going to end up on the moon. And so I see now people are becoming interested in this. I mean, what's striking is, you know, the number of articles you're seeing in popular press not just in the doggy world press and publications, but, you know, the Washington Post, the New York Times, hey, we're doing this podcast right now, right? I mean, would there have been interest in this five years ago, 10 years ago? And I think what's driving a lot of this is, is people want to know a little bit more about the creatures that are with them. I mean, I have this snoring beagle right here underneath the table. And how are we understanding them? And I hope that as we understand them more, we're doing better for them. Dr. Dodman, based on the research and your understanding of dogs, what do you think are basic things that dog owners do 
that can dramatically affect their behavior. They did a study looking at owner personality and the influence of the personality on the dog's behavior. And sure enough, there is a connection. It's not a, you know, 100% that if you're a nervous person, you'll have a nervous dog, but it moves in that direction. The contribution of, you know, in general, of your personality to your dogs is about 15%. You know, some others will come from genetics, some will come from past experiences and so on. But 15% is uh, due to you. On that note, do you mind if I bring in my dog, Colonel, for you to say hello? Sure. Colonel, do you see Dr. Dodman? Do you see Dr. Z? Thank <laughs> you both so much for joining us. I've learned so much about dogs in a way that is going to be so useful as a new puppy owner. So thank you for joining us and finding the time. Thanks, Rena. This is the Recount Daily Pod, a podcast from the Recount and iHeartRadio. Our thanks to Dr. Dodman and Dr. Zawistowski for being on the show. If you like this episode, I hope you'll subscribe to the Recount Daily Pod. Do leave us a rating on the Apple Podcast app. I'm your host, Rena Ninen. My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English, and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council.